0: On 17 May 2014, Navy Admiral William H. McRaven, ninth Commander of the US Special Operations Command, delivered a memorable speech that many of you have seen on YouTube. He delivered a memorable speech at the University of Texas. He drew attention to the university's slogan which says, What starts here changes the world. And he showed the 8,000 gathered students that night That if they were to change the lives of but only 10 people, and those 10 change the lives of 10 others, and those lives change the the lives of 10 others, and so on and so forth for five generations, a span of 125 years, that the impact of each single person's changing of another 10 people's lives would amount to the change of 8 100 million people. Nearly a billion people's lives changed by simply each person changing the lives of 10 other people that they came into contact with. Now I know that 800 million sounds near astronomically impossible, so let me narrow that down for you, for just you. Each person's single contribution to that 800 million would have been 100,000 changed lives. One person changing 10 people who changed 10 others, repeated for five generations, amounted to 100,000 changed lives over the course of that time. This is the power of multiplication. He went on to say that if they thought it was hard to change the lives of 10 people, to change their lives forever, he said that they were wrong. And so he told them a story of, of, of of his fighting days. He said, I saw it happen every day in Iraq and in Afghanistan. A young army officer makes a decision to go left instead of right down a road and 10 soldiers in the the squad are saved from close ambush. In Kandahar, Afghanistan, a non-commissioned officer from the female engagement team senses something isn't right and directs the infantry platoon away from a 500-pound IED, saving the lives of a dozen people. But if you think about it, he said, not only were these soldiers saved by the decisions of one person, but their children, yet unborn, were also saved. And their children's children, yet unborn, were also saved. Generations were saved by one decision, by one person. He went on to say, but changing the world can happen anywhere. And anyone can do it. And I want you to hear that again. Changing the world can happen anywhere and anyone can do it. So what starts here, he says, can indeed change the world. The decisions that they were to make that would change their future and ultimately change their world, those decisions would start that night. That night, that year, seven years ago, your decision to change your life and your world starts today. Starts today. But the question you asked, the question you asked is what would the world look like after you change it? What would the world look like after you change it? And I share in his confidence that after putting the right things in place, after having done first things first, your world and ultimately the world that you influence will look much, much better because of the good decisions that you make today. Now I want to share with you only one lesson that he shared that night that he said he learned during his time in the military. He said that the lessons would not matter whether you served a single day in uniform or not. Would not matter what your gender was, your ethnic or religious background, your orientation or your social status. Because he says this, he says, for our struggles in this world are similar. And the lessons to overcome those struggles and to move forward, changing ourselves and the world around us will apply equally to all. Equally to all, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. The changes that you make, what's necessary changes that you need to make to change your life and the life of the world that you impact are the same for everyone. So this is a story. He says, I've been a Navy SEAL for 36 years, but it all began when I left UT, University of Texas, for basic SEAL training in Coronado, California. Basic SEAL training, he says, a six months of long, torturous runs in the soft sand. Midnight swims in the cold water of San Diego. Obstacle courses, unending calisthenics, days without sleep, and always being cold, wet, and miserable. Sounds like lockdown or our current uh, electricity crisis that we have. It is six months of being constantly harassed by professionally trained warriors who seek to find the weak of mind and body and eliminate them from ever becoming a Navy SEAL. But the training also seeks to find those students who can lead in an environment of constant stress Constant chaos, constant failure, and constant hardship. To me, basic SEAL training was a lifetime of challenges chained, crammed into six months. So here are the 10 lessons I learned from basic SEAL training that hopefully will be of value to you as you move forward in life. Every morning in basic SEAL training, my instructors at the time were all Vietnam veterans would show up in my barracks room, and the first thing that they would inspect was your bed. If you did it right, the corners would be square, the covers would be pulled tight, the pillow centered just under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the front of the rack. That's Navy talk for the bed. It was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors. Tough battle-hardened seals. But the wisdom of this simple act has been proven to me many times over. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what he says next, because this is a big take-home. He says, if you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task and another And another. By the end of the day that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you will never do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home. To a bed that is made, that you have made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. If you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. Now why share McRaven's story with such detail today? Because friends, I want the truth of scripture that I'm about to share with you to be as real and as relatable to you today as it was some two and a half thousand years ago. You see, we're going to be looking at the life of Daniel. And what you'll see when you read the book of Daniel is that he was a man much like you and I. There was nothing really extraordinary about him. From what we know, he wasn't a man of great stature. Such as King Saul, who stood a head taller than all of his fellow Israelites. The first king of Israel, King Saul, stood a head taller than all the other Israelites. Daniel wasn't like that. When we introduce to him in Daniel chapter 1, he's not slaying a giant like the shepherd boy David, who would one day later become the king of Israel. Daniel wasn't chosen by God to build a boat to save the world or be the progenitor forefather of the promised Messiah, other than being born into privilege. Daniel was quite an ordinary person. And yet, he played such a significant role in the plan of God that there is a whole book dedicated to him. What made him so significant despite being so ordinary? I believe that the significance lay in his devotion to God. You see, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10 says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Just as he had done before. Right there, at the end of that verse, lies the power of God for you today. Just as he had done before. We've been talking about developing good habits instead of New Year's resolutions. And last week's message, First Things First, focused on making spending time with God a priority. We saw this in the life of Jesus, and then in the life of Paul, and now today we see this in the life of Daniel too. What you need to realize is that what we are witnessing here, what you are reading about here, is such a well-established habit that fear itself could not alter its behavior. This is such a well-established in the life of Daniel, that fear itself could not alter its behavior. Daniel is a part of those who was exiled to Babylon after King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple. He lived in Babylon for 70 years. For the entire time that the Jews were in exile, Daniel lived in Babylon. During that time, he lived under the rule of at least six kings although we learn of only four of them by name in the Bible. Those four are Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius the Mede, and then Cyrus, who is the one to fulfill Jeremiah's prophecy to set the captives free. So Daniel chapter 1 starts when he is exiled as a young man to Babylon. How old? We don't exactly know. You see, the New Testament book of Luke, Jesus is referred to as a boy at age 12. And according to Jewish custom, one became accountable for one's actions at age 13. But then there's also the book of Exodus and Numbers, which lists the age of 20 as being the right age to pay temple tax and to enter to be a soldier in the army. Daniel begins his exile somewhere between the age of 13 and 20, maybe a little thereafter, we don't know, which means that at the time that King Darius takes the throne at the end of chapter 5. Daniel is over the age of 60. He's not yet 70. I don't think he's see 70. But he's not a spring chicken either, people. Daniel is at, at minimum aged 60. When you read about him here in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Now, for the more astutes among us, you would have done the math already. And you would have realized that we had just skipped nearly 50 years of Daniel's life. 50 years. And if it hasn't struck a chord deep within you yet, let me help you along. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. The power of God for you and for me today says that three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. Just as he had done for the last 50 years. Has that sunk in yet? We talk about forming good habits and we think, that a few days of repetition is going to nail it for us. When in fact, research has shown that it takes an average of 66 days for a new behavior to become automatic. No wonder why 92% of New Year's resolutions have failed by Valentine's Day. That's only been 45 days since the beginning of the year. Here in today's scripture, we are talking about a man who has developed the habit of praying and thanking God three times a day and that dad has been doing that for at least 17,520 days not 66 days not 45 days 17,520 days Daniel went to his room got down on his knees prayed and thanked God and remember he's an exile people He is an exile. 52,560 times Daniel bowed down the knee and prayed and thanked God over the span of time that he was in Babylon up until this point. 52,000 times. Friends, what powerful clay. What powerful clay can you and me be in the hands of God if we were to be like Daniel and get into the habit of of be putting first things first and spending time with God. Do you want to be used by God for the kingdom of God? Then pray and thank God daily. Do you want to be used by God for the provisioning and caring of your family? Then pray and thank God daily. Do you want to be used by God to be victorious over sin and temptation? Then pray and thank God daily. Do you want to be used by God to overcome fear and anxiety in the face of the certain death? Then pray and thank God daily. Daniel was facing the greatest threat upon his life. And when he had heard that the decree had been published that would ultimately send him to the lion's den, he went home. Got straight back into what he always did and prayed and thanked God. How many of us, after having heard of a decision that would or could lead to our ruin, how many of us went home, got on our knees, and prayed and thanked God? How many? Too extreme. How many of us, after having heard that someone had said something that could or would harm our character, our integrity, or our reputation? How many of us, after hearing this, went home and got on our knees and prayed and thanked God? Or would it be a more accurate rendition that after having heard such news of character assassination or questioned integrity? Or defamed reputation that instead of going home and praying and thanking God we did indeed get straight back into our habit of doubting God questioning his goodness and gossiping about the gossiper how do I know this to be true because I know this to be true of myself It is my natural human default. Like the Apostle Paul I say to you today not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect but I press on to take a hold of that for which Christ took a hold of me. So I do not preach to you from a pedestal as one above you all but preach to you as an equal and say this is the truth of Scripture. Let us press on together. But I want to declare to you today. I want to declare to you today that if you get this right, if you can put first things first and spend time with God and pray and thank him daily, then I declare to you today that you can stare down your lions and bring down your giants. COVID will isolate you, but it does not have to silence you. COVID will terrorize you, but it does not have to overpower you. COVID will disrupt you, but it does not have to discourage you. COVID will be many things, but it does not have to be everything. COVID does not have to overthrow you. Because your power lies not in you but in your God. Your power lies not in you, but in God. And you begin to walk in the power of God only when you start walking in the presence of God. 52,560 prayers over a span of nearly 50 years seems like an astronomically big goal. But just as Admiral McRaven's story showed us, it doesn't have to be a large goal. In the case of our praying, it only has to be three times a day. Now, I'm not proposing legalistic ritualism. So please don't go and say that the pastor said, if I pray three times a day, then poof, all my problems are going to magically disappear. I'm not saying that. What I want you to grasp today is the power of habits. The power of habits. It can make or break you. For Daniel, it was a difference between fear and peace. For you, I would rather want to see you made than broke. There are several habits that I would want to see developed in a Christian's life over the span of his life or her life as a Christian. But I cannot stress enough. The most important being reading the Bible and praying. By reading the Bible, we get to know God. By praying, we get to communicate with God. These are the two most fundamental spiritual disciplines that you need to get right and unfortunately I know far too many people who don't. I know far too many people who don't get this right, they don't read their Bibles, And they don't pray. Christians. Let me stress the importance of this by saying that nothing else matters. Save for these two and foremost. I'm not interested how gifted you are. I'm not interested in how holy you show yourself to be. I can tell you today that if you're not getting these two right then all that gifting and all that holiness becomes corrupted and defiled. And even Jesus said, of those who did signs and wonders in His name, He said to them, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Get this right. How do we develop good habits that will last a lifetime? Well, you start small. You start small. Admiral McRaven's challenge was to change the lives of 10 people. What I did not tell you was that prior to him proposing that, he said that the average American will come into contact with over 10,000 people in their lifetime. 10,000. Have a look at your phone. Have a look at how many contacts you have on your phone. Do you know every single person? You probably don't, but you've come into contact with them. The average American will come into contact with 10,000 people. Now that is a lot of people. His challenge was to change only 10. Not 10,000. Not a 1,000. Not a 100. Only 10. Read your Bible daily. If not a whole passage, then read just a single verse. Just a single verse. Start with just that. Do you think you can manage one verse a day? (laughs) Yes, you can. One verse. One verse. And then after 66 days, when that's become an automatic habit for you, make it two verses a day. And if you're one of those on the outer reaches of the research group who took 240 days for that behavior to become automatic for them, then make your habit a goal one verse a day for a year and the next year I add another verse and the year after add another verse they say that the best time to plant a tree is today the next best time is yes is 20 years ago oh, sorry let me get that right the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago the next best time is to plant today now I want to take this one step further, this reading of the Bible verse thing. Don't read your verse from a devotional text. Why? Because as much as I value devotionals, my personal favorite being Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, as much as I value devotionals, if you read your verse from the Bible itself, the chances are that you will read more than that single verse. Besides being overwhelmed by the power of God in the Bible, there is an element of psychology at play too. I once read somewhere that in order to develop the habit of flossing your teeth daily, they say to start flossing only a single tooth daily. once, One single tooth. If you want to start flossing, your teeth daily, start by flossing a single tooth. Now, I know that that sounds ridiculous. As much as people hate flossing their teeth, myself included, we know that we must. So surely flossing just a single tooth a day is an achievable goal. And the psychology goes that whilst you've got your pearly whites open wide in front of you, the chances are that you're going to one day be encouraged to floss more than one single tooth. Now imagine you could take your teeth out one by one and you took your single tooth out and you put it on a bathroom basin and that was a tooth that you had to to floss tonight. How many teeth do you think you'd floss that night? You'd floss only that single one tooth. There would be no reason for you to be encouraged to floss anymore. Devotional verse reading as much the same taken out of the Bible with all good intent The chances are that because the Bible is not wide open like a mouth full of teeth You're not going to read more than that single verse that has been placed nice and neatly in front of you Read from the Bible itself daily just one single verse if you have to The same goes for praying the same goes for praying Saying grace for your food doesn't count, doesn't count, but start simply. Craig Grishel from Life Church says that he never used to pray with his wife. Then one year they decided to make it a habit, become disciplined. And so every morning before work, they would stop, hold hands and say a quick prayer. Start simply. If you don't know how to pray to God, start, start, start with a simple one. There's a wonderful story that's done its rounds over Facebook and WhatsApp and whatever of a guy who comes to church daily, kneels for a few seconds, gets up and then leaves. Now the minister thinks ill of him and then one day confronts him asking him, listen, what are you doing? And so the guy says to me, he prays and he says, this is the prayer that I pray. He says, I just came again to tell you, Lord, how happy I have been since we found each other's friendship and you took away my sin. I think about you always. Don't know how much to, how much how to pray. So Jesus, this is me Ben, just checking in today. I think about you always. Don't know much how to pray. So Jesus, this is me Daryl, checking in today. Doesn't have to be elaborate. Doesn't have to be elaborate. It just has to be real. Now, if that was too much for you to remember, then how about the prayer in Luke chapter 18? In Luke chapter 18, there's this prayer, and this is the, this is these these are the words of the prayer. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That is the entirety of that recorded prayer. Now, do you think that you can remember that prayer daily? Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, Jesus says to the man who prayed that simple prayer, Jesus says, I tell you that this man went home justified before God. This man who prayed only six simple words went home justified before God. Do you want to be victorious over sin, temptation, fear, anxiety? Then get into the habit of spending time with God, praying and thanking Him daily. I'm not promising you a fail-safe solution, as some strongholds in people's lives are deep, and some enemies are great. But what I do know is that the more you fill yourself with God by spending time with God, the sooner breakthrough will come. I was walking in the forest recently asking God, I was asking God, simple prayer, God what's going on? God, what? Show me, Lord, what is going on? I happened to walk past a stream that ran through the forest. One that I'd walked past before, but this time, there was something different. The water wasn't flowing as it used to. There was a portion of the stream that had no water and all that was left was a hollowed-out bed of rocks. Yet the stream was still flowing. I looked to see what had happened to this particular section of the stream and I noticed that the water's path had been blocked by debris. It wasn't a massive rock, or a log, or something big at all. The blockage had been caused by lots and lots and lots of leaves. What had started as a single leaf getting stuck, over time, had little by little, one leaf at a time, built up enough damming resistance that it would eventually stop the river's flow. And yet the stream continued to flow. How? Because the stream was still being fed by its source. The stream was still being fed by its source. And with the continuing infilling of the river from its source, there was sufficient enough volume of water over time for the river to eventually find another route, force its way through, break through to the other side. Friends, the trials and tribulations of life are like those leaves that over time slowly build a dam of resistance within our hearts. And when your life takes one blow after another, day after day, week after week, week year after year, and that could be anything. It could be anything. Marital problems, it could be sin, it could be financial problems, it could be children problems, it could be strife at work, strife in the family, it could be so many other things. It could be sickness. If your life takes one blow after the other, day after day, week after week, year after year, then eventually It can lead you to becoming hollow and embittered and as hard as a bed of rocks. But what God showed me that day, like Daniel, if you keep filling yourself with the river of life that is Jesus, day after day, week after week, year after year, One thankful prayer at a time. Despite the certainty of despair or disaster, then eventually you will be so filled with the life-giving water of the Spirit of God that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And the Spirit will break through and you will without fear stare down your lion. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this day, still in lockdown, still isolated from those we love, those that we care for, those that we want to spend time with, our friends, isolated from the normality of life. They say go to work only because they can't give us any money to sustain us, putting our lives at risk. Father God, we come to you today, uncertain of the future, but certain of you. And Father God, it doesn't take much to pray a simple, simple prayer. I don't know how much to pray, but this is me, Lord, checking in today. Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. It doesn't take much to be thankful for what we have, the little things that we have. To thank God for His goodness, to thank God for His power and might over sin, over death, to thank God for Jesus. Father God, it doesn't take much. I pray your people would find the courage and the strength to pray. To read the Bible. One little bit at a time, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you would help them to stop making excuses. To, Father God, put you first. And I pray, Father God, that as they continue to fill their lives with you, and Father God, your spirit would break through and give them victory in every area that they needed, Lord. I pray this, Father God, for your glory's sake. And in Jesus Christ's name, amen. amen. We're going to go into a time of communion, and so I want you to join us if you're going to participate and uh yeah there will be a closing song afterwards We are once again reminded that the Lord Jesus instituted two ordinances for us to uphold and be obedient to those were baptism and communion We have had the opportunity we now have the opportunity to be obedient to the Lord and to partake in communion as always, I want to remind you that none of us are worthy, for all of us have fallen short of the glory, of God. but it is exactly for that sin that Christ died. It is that that he was sacrificed. And so I want to say to you, take some time to consider it. if you need to push pause and again. Be a member of a church, after Church or any other church, in order to be partake of communion. The only criteria is that you be a believer, after if, if Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, partake of the communion elements. Not because we want to withhold, but because the Bible says that you bring judgment if you partake in the manner. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. And the took the cup after supper, this cup is the new covenant, do this as often as you in remembrance of me, often as you eat this bread and drink this, you proclaim the Lord's death until yeah. he comes. We as the invited who come together around this table as those who belong to the household of Christ, hear this invitation, come. Come to the table, not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and you need help. Come because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Come, because he loved you and he gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we partake today of these communion elements, the bread and the wine or grape juice, symbols of your body and blood, I pray, Heavenly Father, that they would do everything to us, that you intended it for us to accomplish, it would accomplish everything within us, that you intended for it to do. And so, Lord, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, may your name be magnified and glorified in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you partake of the bread on your own, and then just wait before taking of the cup so we may partake together. If you are to head home, I'm going to ask you to stand as we make our acclamation and declaration and confession. Let us stand. Your death, O Lord, we commemorate. Your resurrection we confess. Your final coming we await. Glory be to you, O Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to partake of these communion elements in remembrance of your great work accomplished on the cross through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, as we have celebrated communion, may we be worthy of the calling that you have given us and the work that you have called us to, to make your name known among the nations so that Christ may come again and bring to completion that which has been started. And whatever we do, Lord, in word or deed, may we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. The Lord send his countenance to you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Join us next week. Thank you.